0: away so I know this is a difficult topic so just know this if I ask questions thanks if I ask questions or anything you do not have to share um, but I'm going to ask a few questions that there might be some things that what you have gone through or experienced can benefit the group but know that you don't have to share and uh, yeah so let's pray Heavenly Father we rejoice that we have real hope Most humans talk about having hope. Many humans think that they have hope. Many base it on all kinds of different things, whether it's bank accounts or health or age or economic status or, I don't know, health history. Um, The Lord, we know that as believers we have true hope in Jesus Christ that might mean we might live a very short life we might live a long life we might have a lot of difficulty or we might have a lot of just tremendously wonderful things happen but whatever happens to us Lord help us and remind us and uh, refine us so that we have hope only in you because even as believers Lord our hope can get off and we can hope in ourselves or hope in all those things that others hope in Lord, we look to you and you alone. In your name, amen. Okay, so I have a, a few questions starting out here um, as we talk about death in the intermediate state. We'll talk if we, get, if we have time. Sorry, sorry, I was late. I was, had plenty of time. Then I walked back in there and chatted with a few people and ate a little bit of food and lost track of time a little bit. Um, what are some different responses you have seen by someone who knows death is imminent? So if you have it, it might be a parent, it might be a friend, but if you've talked to someone and they know that death is coming and they, they know it's coming soon. Now, oftentimes we don't, we don't know when we're, nobody knows exactly when they're going to die. But let's say you're talking with someone and they know death is coming. What are some different responses that you have seen in your history? Yeah, Ron? Um, both my
1: parents passed.
0: Okay. Both uh, of them died of cancer. Uh, they knew that their time was in, in coming. Uh,
1: Mom was born in peace. Uh, uh, back uh, a couple days before she died, she said she actually saw Christ. And uh, one thing I remember about Dad passing away is uh, he was fighting every last second. Yeah. He had that last breath you know, before with, I was really never sure about even going into salvation, especially my father. Okay, uh, but uh, I think that's uh, uh a revelation that, that if somebody is just trying to hang up in this world, yeah, not ready for
0: yeah, yeah. Anybody else, yeah, well, for
2: a believer, and I'm thinking of my mom and dad they were more focused on eternal things okay you know, their, their hearts turn more to the lord and um you know something i'm always amazed at is when you see movies you know i mean real life things catastrophic or planes going down they find the black box and you know people blaspheme god in their last seconds of
1: life yeah is so shocking
0: yeah yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Martha?
1: I think uh, also the suddenness. I had a nephew that died. I mean, saw him one day he's dead just a few days after his birthday.
2: That Every person needs to be aware that this day is a gift mm-hmm. and that God's take them tonight. Yeah. And we take so much for granted in the day that God gave us. But an unexpected death and, and that's it. Can happen. Sure. And I think we just walk around as if we're safe all the time, but every young person without
0: Christ needs to be aware to run to them. Right. They don't know. Right. What
1: uh, death is going to
0: come. Right. Right. So. Absolutely. Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah.
1: I was working in a funeral home. But I'm surrounded by people that are. Suffering the loss, but I see two things. One, desensitivity Hmm. to death, especially those that work in the industry that are around it, they become desensitized. Uh, The second thing is a denial of death. Uh, Probably one of the saddest things in our society today is this uh, health and wealth gospel. Yes. that refuses to admit that they're going to die, they're going to be healed instead, and they won't allow their, their words to use They won't even allow themselves to contemplate the possibility of dying. So sure, they think that's a lack of faith, and that's a sad situation to be in. Right,
0: right. I agree. We've had some experience with that as well. And tough to see. I think two, two responses I typically see would be from believers either confidence and not cockiness but confidence in i love my savior i want to be with him but i've also seen fear and as a pastor you're with people oftentimes who get close to death i've seen fear a lot i remember being with a pastor one time and he was really upset that this person was afraid and i would just say this i err on giving a lot of grace there because a lot of times we're we're scared of things that we haven't experienced before you know you're your first time your kid gets on a zip line they're thinking 20 feet down It's this thing you know i i've never done this before and so i think even with believers natalie's grandma had some fear at death and there was no doubt of her salvation she loved christ dearly but she'd never died before and physically her body was falling apart she wasn't sleeping well there's a lot of emotionally difficult things going on at the end of her life so Air on the side of giving grace, but I would say fear and confidence would be the two main things with believers I think it's interesting, but unbelievers have the same thing, it's fear and it's confidence, now it's, it's different fear, because the fear of a believer is saying I've never experienced this before, but I trust my Savior, but is this going to hurt, what is this going to be like um, the fear of a non-believer is, is different than that, absolutely different than that I think it's interesting how many people that would be and see it's interesting you know we moved to kentucky and so many more people claim to be christians in this area you know if you talk to joe blow on the street they'll probably say they're a christian whereas i've never lived in a place like that you know in southern wisconsin for college or seminary in philadelphia definitely not and in colorado definitely not if you ask your average person on the street, it would be a surprising thing for someone to say, oh yes, I'm a believer. But it is, uh, um, there is a, a, a lot of people should be afraid, but it's surprising the amount of people that are confident and have no idea. My My grandparents are not believers, and they are getting close to death. They're in their late 80s, and they had tremendous health their whole life, and they had went from very poor to, to great success and they've done good things with their money and they're they're minimalists and they're 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 really, really nice people generally. And humanly I would think, oh, they'll be questioning the afterlife, eternity. You know, my their distant relatives were Lutherans. Is there you know pretty much nothing. My brother was able to I wrote them a letter two weeks ago <laughs> And my grandma didn't reference any of the um, gospel-focused things I talked about. And then she hit up my brother, who's a pastor in Colorado, and to argue about something. And I would think you're getting close to death. You'd be questioning. And many people don't. Many people do as well. So I kind of want to hit up these three questions. Why is there death? Um, How do you or how should you think of death? And what happens at death. So those are going to be kind of the three, three main things that we look, up, uh, look at today. So uh, why is there death? What are some, some why is there death at all? The fall. the fall. Yeah. So you definitely say the fall. Look at uh, Genesis 2. And uh, God says, hey, if you eat of, eat of this tree, you've got this whole garden. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, does God kill him? No. But he says in Genesis 3, you came from dust, and to dust you're going to return. So death, death passed upon all men. Um, Romans 5 references that. In Adam we die. Um, let's all look at 1 Corinthians 15. I think that would be a good one for us to, to uh, establish here early on. And really, we could look at 1 Corinthians 15 at the end. If we have time, we're going to get into glorification just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, probably a little bit of Romans 8, or the real glorification passages. But uh, Jason, why don't you read 1 Corinthians 15, read 25 and 26, and then I'll probably have you jump later on to chapter 2. Actually, read 24, 25, 26.
1: Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has (coughs) put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death.
0: So, fallen world, sin, it's death. Read uh, uh, 50... Read 53 through uh, 57 as well, Jason.
1: For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Those are powerful passages because we can feel defeated by death. If you've had someone very close to you that died, maybe maybe you were a very young believer, or maybe before you were a believer, or maybe before you understood, it looks like death wins, but it, but it doesn't. It's just a short amount of time. I remember Larry Reed talking with him. He's not in here him share it uh, I remember talking with him about his kids being in or some of his kids being in Italy and I said I know I can only imagine how hard that is to have them be all the way over there because you'd like to influence those kids for Christ you know, he was grandkids and he said yes yes but at a re- really basic level he said but I'm looking to being with them for all eternity and so this is a short short time and I think as believers if we can think biblically about life and we can think biblically about eternity. It pushes such tremendously good things here. But if if we're just focused on the here now and on this life now, then then at death we give up or we can give up. It's one of the reasons what, that suicides are so high when a loved one dies. People say, "I can't, I can't do this anymore." We have a, I have a a friend of mine, a pretty good friend of mine in college, died of cancer about five years ago, and. Uh, his wife just wrote on Facebook a couple weeks back when when my husband died and Ernie was a pastor and had cancer and he wasted away. And it was it was awful and ugly and horrible. And um, I had written his wife who I had never met because um, he was church planting in, in uh, uh, Canada, back where he was from. I had written her a couple of letters. She had asked for letters about stories of him so she could tell her kids about him because some of them were pretty young. And uh, she just wrote on Facebook just a few weeks back, she said, I I tried to end my life about six months after Ernie passed away. And she said, and a big response I got from people was condemnation. How dare you? How dare you? And she said, it's absolutely true. It was sinful. It was wrong. But she said, all I could do, I couldn't sleep at night. All I could think of was Ernie wasting away. Ernie wasting away, and I just couldn't face life anymore. And then she came through it, and, and God, in his grace, sustained her life. Her family is doing well now. God actually gave her. She's remarried again and just had a little baby. And she kind of walked through that journey and she said, I got my eyes off of eternity. And this life seemed like too much. Probably most of us have been impacted with those that have committed suicide. And I think a huge part of that is when this life becomes too much. And so a huge pusher for real Christians is to push eternity. Yes, we're living for God now. Yes, we've been giving blessings now. Yes, absolutely, there's all kinds of now. But there is all kinds of future. And we need to push that because this life can and is overwhelming. So, so keep that in mind. So fallen world. Um, what are some other reasons? Why, why is there death? Or maybe what death is not? I, I put down here, so the, so the fall is the main one. But death is not punishment for, for a believer. This is not uh, because of your sin uh, you are going to die. Now, Corinthians talks about those who have uh, sinned in connection with the Lord's table. and says they have fallen asleep. But as a general sense, your death is not your punishment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So um, there are groups within Christianity that would look at, oh, he must have been doing something wrong, or wow, she died young. I remember going to a funeral when I was a kid, and people were kind of batting around this idea, and it was in a pretty wacky church. that was not the church that we went to, and they were kind of batting around the idea, oh, you know, why did this lady die? She was only 35. She had kids. Maybe something was going on run from that, but it's, it's out there in, in uh, I'm going to say, greater Christianity. I'm going to put this, that it's part of sanctification, and it's not maybe the actual death, but uh, that which leads up to it. I think the process of aging, process of potentially, at the end, sickness, um, weakness, Um, That all pushes us there. If you want to look, let's look at uh, Hebrews 12 just for a minute. I think we have time to hit a little bit of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 obviously informs us on those who have died in faith. And we have a variety of people in there. From those who we think of as, oh, the super believers, to those we look at and say, wow, he He had some real sin issues, but they died following God, looking to Christ. And then in in, uh, chapter 12, uh, we won't deal with the whole chapter, but chapter 12, let me just look at a few verses there when we think about that sanctification. It says, uh, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons sons? talks about discipline. It goes on to the section about discipline. And then then at the end, the last part talks about a kingdom that can't be shaken. I got two chairs over here. And uh, I got one chair next to Matt. Henry, this one. It's a good chair right there. It's here. It's calling you. It's calling you. I think these are all things that, that push us in our sanctification even right now. So why is there death? Death should push me to be saying, Hey. Others have died before. Others have gone before. Others have been faithful before. I want to be faithful too. There's times of persecution. There's times of hardship. There's times of difficulty. My body isn't holding up. We've all felt... I talked to my brother the other day. He's 45 and I'm 43 and he said uh, that my nephew, who's 15, he said he... And my brother was a really good football player. And he he said that his son, who's 15 blindsided him and, and out in the backyard and just hit him in the ribs and took him down to the ground and my brother jared said i just i i just feel old <laughs> you know i you know this this kid, kid you know he took me down and i said i play basketball with the teens now and i go to jump and i don't go up <laughs> like, <"Ugh." laughs> like, wow okay but and 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 how much more i mean uh Pastor Keith Maddy has shared, you know, multiple times said, I was the young guy and now I'm not the young guy. You know, we've all heard him say that. Right. But part of that process sanctifies us and it pushes us to say, I'm not going to live forever on this earth. What what is my life like? Who am I following? Who am I trusting? And I think that's the fourth thing. I think it pushes us to look at eternity. Wiley has a had a friend named uh, Tim Williams. So, why did you reach out to Tim Williams? Had Tim Williams been looking for Christ ten years ago? No. No. He he passed away what six weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So so why why did you reach out to him? Well, he
1: actually saw me driving down wrote him following me okay i didn't recognize him so he used to have long hair and all his hair was gone from chemo so then i found out he had cancer and i knew he wasn't uh, a believer so that's why
0: yeah so how did you reach out to him when he so you're a fairly busy guy you have family and work and stuff and he wasn't your best friend from back in the day is he no. kind of an acquaintance
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay so and five years ago, was he looking to Christ? No. Pretty wild living guy, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you reach out to him?
1: Um, just went and visited him and talked to him about, you know, the Lord. What did he, did he, was he praying to the Lord? Did he, would he know about that? And, and was there...
0: Yeah, keep going. But
1: then he wanted, I must I must have sounded pretty ignorant because he wanted to talk to a pastor.
0: <laughs> 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 Someone who really knows. No, <laughs> no, no. He, <laughs> yeah, I, I went
1: there and started talking to him.
0: Well, you took him to Evansville. I mean, So you took time out of the middle of your day of work, which typically guys at work construction don't really do that. Hey, let's drive to Evansville in the middle of the day. You took him to doctor's appointment, at least one. So... I came on the scene, just because some, I don't know, you were sharing the gospel accurately, but I had some time that you didn't have. And so I'm, I'm spending time with Tim Williams, and he's saying, basically he couldn't quite figure out why this wily guy would run him back and forth to doctor's appointments when he's dying, and they're not best friends. I mean, that's a condensed version. Why would this guy reach out quite like that? I said, he loves Jesus Christ, and he also knows about eternity, and eternity is really long. And this time on earth now is really short. And he knows at one time Wiley was far from Christ. And so I shared the gospel with him as you shared the gospel with him. shared the gospel with him several times. Probably went over there six or eight times. Um, And he kept saying, I I only have five months to live, but you could spend not very much time with him and know he didn't have that much. So he he passed away. Now, he professed faith the third from last time I went there, but um, I don't, you know, when, when you're on tons of morphine and different things at that time and you're self-medicating some, I, I, don't, I don't know. But I, I prayed a bunch that he would come to Christ. And, and I'm going to trust in, in whatever, whatever God did there in his heart. But um, I think if Wiley didn't have an understanding of eternity, he might have he even, what if he had an understanding in his head about eternity? I know eternity's long. Oh, I know I'm going to heaven, but what if he said, yeah, but I've got this job to do. I mean, it probably, you took time out of your day on, multiple, on different days, but I would say it really pushed him to say, I need to help him with eternity. And I think it does that for us. It's hard to be around someone that's going to die. I remember as a pastor, the first time I sat with a lady as she passed away and, uh, she had great confidence in the Lord. She'd actually been a missionary to China back in the day. And it was, I had some great talks with her until she couldn't talk anymore. And you know we were there a lot. And uh, um, But push that in your mind. Eternity is long. I told some young, man, young men that last week when I talked to them on the phone, eternity is long. And I think death pushes us That way. Yes.
2: Um, Also, maybe some under that. I'm thinking about that scripture in Ecclesiastes that said, "It is better to go to the house of mourning than
0: the house of feasting." Yeah. Than the end of every man. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, when you're you see that body stretched out
0: there, it should cause us to consider our own mortality. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you lived, you know, 80 years ago here. I'm guessing oftentimes people died and they would be laid out in your own parlor, and it makes the reality of death very real. I think a a detriment in our society right now is we're usually so separate from death. Um, So a normal thing back in the day would be to have, you know, grandma or great-grandma might live with you until she passed. Or, but, but now the norm in our society, and I'm not condemning the use of nursing homes because with health needs and different things, sometimes that needs to happen, but um, when you're caring for grandma, you're looking at eternity differently. I remember Natalie in your sophomore, freshman year of college, her grandpa was dying and her mom was working and your stepdad was working and your mom was going to school. And so Natalie was a caregiver caregiver for her grandpa as he passed away from throat cancer. And most people wouldn't have you know, 18-year-olds do that. I mean, she had to take them to the bathroom. She did everything. Um, but don't you think that changed you and affected you? And Natalie loved the Lord then, but I think she looks at eternity and is willing and interesting to care for people in a different way having done that. So that's the thing to think of as Christians. Um, we shouldn't just automatically think, "Well, nursing home, there you go." Let's. Are there ways that we can care? And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't. You know, there's t- absolutely time for for other care. But think about eternity and think about how your kids are. And talk with your kids about things. I think in the funerals that we've had here at the church that I've been a part of, I've seen parents interacting with their kids and talking them through things, and that is so helpful. It is such a a, a big deal. And then we'll, we'll move on. A big deal in Colorado, where we're from right now, is people not claiming their family members' bodies anymore. And you're talking about a wealthy area where we're from. Uh, Larimer County, Colorado, is very white collar, very educated. Um, you know, a house here in Owensboro that's 150,000 would be 350,000, 400,000 there at least, and. Uh, they're having a terrible, you know, Natalie's parents were deputy coroners there until they retired last year, and they said the amount of people that are refusing their family's bodies is just astounding, and they're saying just, because there's there's count, a county grave that's free, um, you can't, it's not accessed like normal cemetery, they don't set it up like a cemetery, but if you refuse to take the body to pay for, you know, the, the stuff from the funeral home, the county will, will bury you in Larimer County, and, uh, I remember diane my mother-in-law saying we're having doctors come in and saying i didn't even like my mom i'm not paying for it and they're driving in lexus you know it's not a financial thing it's a lack of honor thing and that's only going to become more normal in our society and so one of the things that the early church was known for was what hey when people died we we are willing to bury your dead we're not just going to throw them in a fire and have them be burned up we're willing to bury them and that was a a mark and a sign of the of christians in the early church so I think our, our honoring of the dead, honoring of the body, is going to again be a mark of a believer. So I'm thankful you know, for Dave and for others, but we as believers must, must do that. So uh, how do you think of death? And I will say sometimes I can get a little off in this. I think I can, me personally, I definitely lean towards to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And I'm rejoicing in that, but but we do know that the Bible says, "Hey, that it's that death is the enemy, the last enemy." Uh, Jason had read that, um, so so I would say this: um, death is the enemy, but there's also joy and gain, right? So how do you how do you fit those two together in your mind? Yeah, Jason. Long for
1: the coming of Christ. Yeah. we will not have to face the last enemy Yeah. It will be yeah, our glorification will be instant and not yeah. intermediary
0: yeah, yeah. When, when you and again only share if you want to share when you have had someone you love pass away how have you dealt with that have you leaned heavily towards one and had to preach the other one to yourself one or the other any, any thoughts there?
1: I had a friend that died a couple, three years ago with ALS. Uh, and uh, it was definitely more joy that he died. You yeah. know, you miss him. Yeah. And he's was uh, you know, a very close family friend, not just my friend. Yeah. But um, in the, the sense where it's an enemy, I think back when I was, when I was like 16, there was a 12-year-old kid on the mission field who was hit by a drunk driver and killed us. That affected me very differently. Yeah. Uh, this he yeah. was a vibrant 12 year old. Sure, sure. It's just, either one, they were both Christian. Yeah, okay. But it's still, with Jay, it was like he's not stuck here in this body anymore where he's in a wheelchair and he can't move.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but, so it, I, I guess it just depends on the situation.
0: Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, even at the same time, and this is understanding that the emotions of death are, cannot be removed from it, but even for the 12-year-old, it's all joy and pain. You know, and you know that, and as believers, as parents knew that, even though, you know, I'm looking here at my kids, you know, the, the, the human pain is fully and completely real. We're going to get to that. But but preach these two to yourself. Um, someone turn to Philippians 1, 20 through 23. We should surely read that as well. Elise, do you want to read that? Oh, for Audrey? or Natalie? Uh,
1: Philippians 1. Philippians um, 1.
0: Yeah, you can you can start. Uh, yeah, start in twenty.
2: My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living in Christ is living as Christ and dying in gain. Now I live on in the flesh, which means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So if I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith.
0: Okay, and you can stop there. Good. Excellent. Um, I want to read. um, I think sometimes, and we referenced this earlier, but we can feel scared and deep grief, and those aren't wrong things. Uh, I have, a, uh, I have a, an article by Tim Challies, and it's, uh, it says how to grieve like a Christian, and I won't get into the entire thing, and, I, and he doesn't cover this if you, if you want to look it up or if you want to read it when I'm done afterwards or something, but it's how to grieve like a Christian. He doesn't cover all the details I would probably think. He could have maybe made it a little bit longer, but I, would, but I would say this, because he doesn't reference this here. But I would say this. First of all, um, deep mourning is not a lack of faith. There are those, many of you have maybe been to uh, funerals or whatever, where they want to turn it into a party and you're not allowed to be sad. That that, that's, that, that doesn't fit with scripture. I mean, in in John, what does it say? Jesus wept um, when... Paul in Philippians, when he says Epaphroditus was, looked like he was going to die, he said it would, would have been you know, basically anguish and sorrow. Um, when Stephen is stoned, it says godly men basically got the body and they made great lamentation over him. So deep mourning is not wrong. And, and you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says we don't sorrow as those that have no hope, it does not say, hey, Christians, we don't sorrow. And, and I remember, you know, I've got a lot of very charismatic relatives. And so, so much of my childhood was going to funerals at our, you know, it would be funeral at our church and then a funeral at their churches. And funerals at their churches, it would just be, well, you know, sometimes things are just different in churches. But these would be, and I remember it was a, it tried to turn it into a party atmosphere and it was, you know, people are dancing and jumping around and um, the lady's young children were there. And um, the husband was crying and he'd cry. He'd kind of like usher out of the room because this was supposed to be a party time. I remember, you know, I'm 12 at the time or something thinking if, if my mom passed away, I'm crying. And this is, we don't sorrow those who have the hope. Not that we do not sorrow. It can be deep, deep, deep sorrow. Yeah. Part of the grief we have as Christians is if we had someone die
1: who was close to us, who was a mentor. Sure. You know, teaching us or encouraging us. Or sure. Whatever. So that kind of grief, you know, it's, it's like who's going to do this now? Pastor
0: Ted's a good example for the whole Absolutely. Church. Absolutely. And be thankful. I, I've said this to people multiple times. Because I've had people, for, when we were at the Patino Shelter, there was... A, People would pass away a lot. There's a lot of drug and alcohol abuse and bad decisions. And so there were, you know, so-and-so's not here anymore today. And people would be sad. Hey, you know, this guy's gone. This guy's gone. This lady's gone. And they would cry and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'd say emotions are a gift from God. It might not feel like it at times, but they are. The ability to grieve, to feel sadness. You know, my, my cattle don't feel sadness. And they have balls some when you take their calves away, but they, it's not it's not like that it's a, it's a gift from god to feel that um Charlie says this um he says he said how do christians grieve he said the first thing is you must grieve it's good and right to grieve um, don't be a good stoic or try to be tough um grieve hopefully i think that's a big one don't grieve as others that have no hope he also this said this and this references what 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 uh, jason had said christians grieve temporarily Mm -mm. because our life here is temporary, that we are going to have brightness and perfection, and and that's one of the reasons we can be in anguish and know it's not forever anguish. It's a short time of anguish until eternity. Um, People are scared give grace. Um, You know, in Job 1, and talk me through this a little bit, maybe something, if if you have lost someone close, what were some things that people said or did that was helpful for you? Um, There was a... uh, so in Job 1, his, all of his kids die. He loses all of his stuff, but if you're, if you're like, yes, yeah, it'd be terrible if you lose your business, you lose everything and you're destitute. But then all of his kids die. His wife says, curse God. And he says, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is that is, that is like a godly response. That doesn't mean he was like no big deal. So um, a a uh, a pastor in in Fort Collins, his his wife passed away from cancer, and it was horrible, and it was awful, and uh, a pastor friend of mine went there and visited him, and he said, like, right after she had passed, and this other pastor said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, bless be the name of the Lord, clapped him on the back and said, you know, we're going to keep serving the Lord. Well, that pastor committed suicide about six months later, and he was from, it was a sister church of ours, and he was a seasoned, his son, just a little bit older than me, and was a pastor as well, and his son did his dad's funeral and said, uh, well, anyway, all that to say, we can think we're super spiritual if we try to say, blessed be in the name of the Lord, it's all good. That is great to hear and great to say, and we need to preach that truth to our hearts, but it doesn't mean it's no big deal. So what are some things that people have done, just if you want to share, that have been helpful for you when you've lost, lost a loved one?
2: Anybody? Yes, Jean. When after my husband died, they had a service that for everyone who lost someone special, we went.
1: Okay. And that, and then we had to stay with Yeah. Some of them, I mean, I, I never had anger. That part, I skipped. But after being
2: married for 32 years. Oh. And... It did take a long time because you miss your spouse so much. Yeah. You realize everything they meant in your life and everything they did. And, and I have never remarried or wanted to. I guess I've had a dog instead. <laughs> all <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm afraid. I mean, in this in this world of all mm-hmm. the dating and that, cycles, and just...
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I prefer being woman
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Martha. Martha I, and then over, I yeah. think
1: also just showing up,
0: you know,
2: because mm-hmm. I have a sister who was her son that died and she didn't, she felt like that people forgot about her and their life just moved on. But her life did not move on quickly because he was only 30. Too, yeah. Was her firstborn. yeah. But just showing up, she doesn't, you know, just show up even
0: if they don't want you yeah. proceed to in some situations.
2: Just being
1: there.
0: Which is hard though, because sometimes yeah, you think I'm going to show up anyway, and then after about the third time you show up, you think they really hate me being there.
1: That's right. Yeah,
0: and sometimes you show up a fourth time, and sometimes you you know that's just hard. That is challenging. You know, if you know someone well, it's a lot easier, but that is a challenge. Dave, I
1: love the Word of God because it's so real, and it doesn't you know sugarcoat the reality. It's hard to have. Uh, and I was thinking of the scripture that says, We uh, mourn with those that mourn, weep mm-hmm. with those that weep. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need to enter into that with them, recognizing that uh, there is a legitimate place for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes just crying with someone is the best thing you can do. I will say, I think it was, I'd been at this church for two weeks, and I was riding around with uh, Keith Withrow. In the Henry's plumbing truck, and we were just talking, and uh, he said he was telling me about the church and tell you know, and he said uh, he was talking about a few people that had passed away, and he said our our church, how did you word it, our church dies well, it
1: was the lives well, us
0: how to live Christ, and then the dying yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember thinking I was kind of interesting because you know when I planted when you when you plant a church a lot of times you get younger people in and so the church that we planted was young and so there was a few older people in the church and I know there but we never had a funeral I did not my sister's but that wasn't our church was so we didn't have a funeral in six and a half years and part of it was a small church but part of it was just it was a lot of younger people and so I remember hearing that from Keith and saying and and it's true because I've seen funerals since then. And people are saying, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. And it's a, a lifetime of that. We don't learn that in, an, in, a, in a moment or in a few weeks. It's a lifetime of that. Okay, so let's, um, a few th- uh, just I'd put this here. Obedience is more important than life. In Acts 14, Paul goes into Lystra. They stone him, gets outside of the city, he's left for dead. And it says, the next day his disciples came and went back into Lystra. <laughs> It doesn't say that he preached it, but I'm sure he did. He went back into Lystra. Hey, you people that tried to kill me or whatever happened there, he's left for dead. He goes back into Lystra. Then a few verses later, he goes a little more missionary journey and says, and he ran by this town, this town, and Lystra on the way back home. So, but at other times, Paul would say, hey, I was going this direction, and the Spirit stopped me, and I went back this direction. So the Spirit guides, but obedience, he knew that's where the Lord wanted him. That's where he was going to be. Um, Acts 21 and Acts 25 he says hey I'm ready to die in Rome I think he says that to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 as well Um, so what happens at death Uh, the souls of believers go into the immediate presence of Jesus and the souls of unbelievers immediately to eternal punishment Um, purgatory, soul sleep Old Testament believers we don't have a whole lot of time but just a little bit there Um, um, Roman Catholics will typically look at, at Maccabees, where it has a kind of a vague section where some soldiers are actually in idolatry. So it's technically a mortal sin in Roman Catholic theology. To to if you die while you're in idolatry, you have no chance. But uh, their Maccabees section has them it should be a mortal sin. They have no chance. But that's their that's their purgatory section. But also use. Um, uh, from Corinthians, where it talks about their works being burned up, uh, that—that's the whole theology of purgatory. Now, there are many Roman Catholics that don't believe in purgatory, um, but they've never repudiated it. Uh, but again, so that's—that's that's just an apocryphal book. Maccabees is where purgatory is found. Um, soul sleep—I don't know—soul sleep was more popular at one time. I actually read somewhere that uh, one of Calvin's first. Uh, Uh, scholarly articles that he ever wrote was against the idea of soul sleep. I thought that was kind of interesting. I remember I was going to do a wedding one time and the person said their father had passed away and she said, hey, you know, a few years earlier, she said, hey, make sure you don't talk about me uh, ever seeing my dad again because we believe in soul sleep. Or actually I don't, but he did and my mom does and don't make her mad. And I was 20 minutes before we were getting up, uh, what are you talking about? They, uh, Soul sleep mostly would be Seventh-day Adventists now. I think there's a few other groups that might... What's that? Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses? Okay. And so the idea of soul sleep is that when you die, you stay in the grave, and your soul stays in the grave, and then at the return, every, everything uh, comes, comes up. Um, they would use the terms of sleep in the Bible, that you're not really dead, or that, that you're, that's your soul sleep right there. Um, and then Old Testament believers... There's some diversity, and one of the reasons there's a little bit of diversity on this is that there's not a lot in Scripture about what happens to Old Testament saints when they die. It's not like there's 80 verses on it. Um, so Roman Catholics would go with limbo, and actually yeah, there's so limbo. The kind of idea of limbo is you've got hell, and limbo. I think is kind of on the, the edge of hell. There's actually two limbos. Uh, unbaptized babies get one, isn't there? Yeah, I didn't grow up Catholic, but uh, yeah. or you would say like what Sanctus whatever what uh, but basically so uh, adults go to one and babies go to one and um, you know the, the short answer is Old Testament believers when they die they would be be with God um, you could look at Enoch uh, walked with God and then it says he was with God um, Matthew 22 talks about Abraham Isaac and Jacob it says not the God of the dead but of the living we could look at the Lazarus story from Luke 16. Some people would argue that that's not really a parable because there's names and details given that aren't aren't don't fit with regular parables. I don't really care if it's a parable or not a parable, but it it's not a prescriptive connected to that. But it does give details. God saying, "Hey, this is this is what is happening." This here's an approximation of what is happening right there. Um, so so none of those fit with biblical theology. John 14. Jesus says, "And if I go to prepare a place for you, He's talking about I'm preparing a place for you, so you're going to be coming." The thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise. And I would say also with uh, Lazarus, you know, he didn't die, and and his soul wasn't just sleeping. It says he died, and and he came forth. So uh, souls of unbelievers immediately to eternal punishment. Uh, two two, the, two theologies, wrong theologies, are really popular. 20 years ago, and I think have lessened in popularity. So 20 years ago, some mainstream Christianity was pushing for annihilationism and second chance salvation. And I would argue a little bit more that those have kind of dropped off the map of those that claim normative Christianity. So when I was in seminary, that was a really big deal. McMaster University, which is near where John Hogue is from, uh, they had a guy named Clark Pinnock, uh, theologian who pushed open theism it was a really big deal 30 years ago uh and even when i was in seminary 20 years ago it was a really big deal because he was churning out article after article he believed in annihilation annihilation basically say when you die you just cease to exist And, and and purported christians were pushing that there's no hell now those that push that kind of fallen off the map a little bit but um a few things there you could look at some of the same scriptures but Luke 16 with Lazarus. Um, Revelation 14 talks about the smoke of their torment forever. Matthew 8 talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, second chance salvation, well, Hebrews 9 talks about it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Um, there's. We had some people when I was a pastor, we had a few younger people in our church that were, when I was a pastor in Colorado that were pushing for second chance salvation and uh trying to find it in scripture and I remember doing quite a bit of study on it because it was it doesn't fit with scripture but these people had kind of cobbled together kind of a a theology of it and there's still those that do that but um one of the things I just said from a practical level is Paul seems to give his life pretty aggressively to sharing the gospel if he knew that you just got another shot in a little while he'd say all right well once you die and see how bad it really is in hell you're probably going to say you know I'd really like to get out of here I mean, it just doesn't fit with any type of theology of the Bible, but it's very popular for a while, and there's still those that push it pretty hard. Second chance salvation doesn't fit at all with, with Scripture. Um, I don't have time to get into glorification, but if you want to just write this down, 1 Corinthians 15, really the entire chapter, uh, first th- 12 through 58 is really your main section, 1 Thessalonians 4 and Romans 8, all deal with resurrection. And basically the idea, resurrection at the return of Christ, uh, those who have died will have, get resurrected bodies and their soul and body, resurrected body, will be reunited. Those who are living at that time will keep their soul, but will get a resurrected body. Um, you can look at Revelation 20 for some of that. And then just in closing, um, I was thinking about some people in our church and I was thinking, can you read Sad Stuff Without Crying? Okay, so I'm going to read that in just a second, okay? But don't read it yet. Um, I met with, you, you, most of you know Harold Condor, Condor better than I do, but I, I met I'd met him a few different times. Even when I worked for Henry's Plumbing, he was walking at the mall one time I was working there, and he didn't know who I was, but I chatted with him for a while and asked him some questions about the church, and I think I was on the clock while that was happening. Um, it was a brick time. It was a brick time. Uh, he would go there and walk, and uh, I, I went over there. You know, I've been trying to get to know people in the church better that I don't know well, and so I went over to his house, and we talked for maybe an hour and a half, a couple of weeks back, and we shared the gospel and walked through the good news of Jesus with, with Mike. And uh, Harold told me stories about the church. He told me about the church he was part of before Heritage came about or he heard about it. He told me stories about you know meeting this Pastor Ted guy, serving in the church here, how his wife had passed away, and, you know, he'd name a name and he'd say, well, it's, it's probably late 80s when they, you know, they passed away or they moved to somewhere else, and I thought, and and he's, you know, he is very, very thin, and his health is not good, and he keeps having to go back and forth to the hospital and breathing treatments, and um, I told him that a neighbor of mine down in Ohio County had said, I used to work with this guy named Harold Condor and he said, he's an older guy. I mean, he's old, he's 10 years older than me. (laughs) And uh, this neighbor of mine's pushing 80 and uh, I think Harold's pushing 90, I think. And he said, uh, that Harold Condor, that's a Christian. And I said, I know him a little bit, but I actually don't even know him that well. He can't come to church much. And I've chatted with him a few times and he uh, he said he works like a man, which this guy that is a friend of mine is a really hard worker. He said he works like a man, and he can weld anything except a broken heart. But with a broken heart, he can point him to Jesus. Wow. Whoa! So I told Harold that. I went over there and said, "Hey, do you remember uh, Charles Davidson?" Oh, he was a good young guy. And you know, we had a, and they worked at Green River. And I thought, that's man, I, that's what I want for our church. I want, I want people that are a shining light. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm working hard at my job. You know, Harold wasn't a pastor. Harold, Harold he cleaned at the church after he was done there. got laid off sooner than he wanted to be laid off. He kept working and he was faithful. And that's what I want us to be. And then I want Chris is going to read this. This is from a mom uh, in 15. Is that a date on that? 1573, so she's in Belgium. Uh, Belgium and the Netherlands were uh, one country together at one time, and then Belgium became the Roman Catholic country. The Netherlands was Protestant. Um, and so she's in a Catholic area, and she was going to be put to death. And so, and she just had a little baby. And I can't read it all cry, so I'm going to have Chris for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you think about eternity, and you think about this mom.
2: Elizabeth Hendricks wrote the letter in 1573 in prison shortly after giving birth to a daughter. Janikin? Elizabeth's husband had already been executed, and she herself was about to meet the same fate. She was leaving the letter for Janikin, both as a remembrance of herself and her husband, and as a guide for her daughter's moral and spiritual development. The true love of God and wisdom of the Father strengthen you in virtue, my dearest child. I commend you to the Almighty, great and terrible God, who only is wise, that he will keep you and let you grow up in his fear, or that he will take you home in your youth. This is my heart's request of the Lord, you who are yet so young, and whom I must leave here in this wicked, evil, perverse world. Since then, the Lord has so ordered and foreordained it, that I must leave you here, and you are here deprived of father and mother. I will commend you to the Lord. Let him do with you according to his holy will, he will govern you and be a father to you, so that you shall have no lack here, if you only fear God, for he will be the father of the orphans and the protector of the widows. Hence, my dear lamb, I, am, I who am imprisoned and bound here for the Lord's sake can help you in no other way. I had to leave your father for the Lord's sake and would keep him only a short time. We were permitted to live together only half a year, after which we were apprehended because we sought the salvation of our souls. They took him from me, not knowing my condition for pregnancy, and I too remained in imprisonment, and see him go before me, and it was a great grief to him that I had to remain here in prison. And now that I have abided the time and borne you under my heart great sorrow for nine months, and given birth to you here in prison in great pain. They have taken you from me. Here I lie, expected death every morning, and shall now soon follow your dear father. And I, your dear mother, write you, my dearest child, something for a remembrance, that you will therefore remember your dear father and your dear mother. Further, my dear child, I pray that wherever you live, when you are grown up and begin to have understanding, You conduct yourself well and honestly so that no one need have cause to complain of you and always be faithful, take good heed not to wrong anyone.
1: Thank you. So you talk
0: about death is the enemy, but it's joy and gain, and we're looking to eternity, and we're going to be in heaven with that mom. Mm -hmm. And you're dismissed. Can tell your husband that I turned it off all by myself. Did you? Okay, okay. good for you.